Thank you for tuning in. It's time for this week's episode of History's Hook with your host, Tom Price. Take it away, Tom. Good morning and welcome to our new radio show, History's Hook, where I guarantee that we'll get you hooked on history. I'm your host, Tom Price, and I'm joined in the studio today by my co-host, Joanne McClellan and Dr. Barry Gidcombe. Good morning to you both. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Tom. This is our inaugural show. Our very first episode in what I hope will be a long and successful endeavor. I can't tell you how excited I am to be part of this project. History has always been my great passion, and it's my hope that this show might ignite some of that same passion in others. Each week on History's Hook, we'll be bringing you interesting and informative stories from the past in an effort to connect the history in our own backyard to the big events that compose national and world history. If there's something that I've learned by studying history for three decades, it's this. We're all connected. Our stories all intertwine. We'll explore a new topic each week and bring in experts and eyewitnesses to the events and places we'll be talking about. This is not your high school history class. We're going to make history fun and compelling. We're going to get you hooked. To give you a little of my background, I spent nearly 30 years in the field of history uh, when my dream of being a scientist was shattered by my inability to understand or comprehend chemistry in any of its forms. Uh, here, here's a side note. I think organic chemistry probably has made more historians than scientists. Uh, I started volunteering as a college student at a historic house museum and fell in love with the objects and the documents that tell the stories that make up our history. Uh, following college, I began working as an archivist and museum collections manager in upstate New York, where my specialty became uh, 19th century history and politics. Uh, I'll never forget uh, my first day in the museum. Um, I was one of the very first curators that they hired, and they had a collection of about 100,000 objects. And I thought the best way for me to really get acquainted with the collection was to do an inventory, just to see what was in there. It's a county historical society, so they collected everything uh, over probably a 50 or 60 year time period. So I remember walking through the collection storage spaces, and I uh, went to an upstairs room that was completely dark. There were no windows uh, bringing light into the room. The lights were off, and when I flipped the switch, it was like a scene out of Indiana Jones. The room was filled with, uh, from floor to ceiling with shelving, and the shelving was covered with stuff. Uh, amazing objects, lots of things that I, I didn't, I couldn't even identify, uh, but from uh, uh, jeweled gold and silver Civil War swords made by Tiffany all the way to uh, a, a stuffed two-headed cow. Uh, county historical societies sort of run the gamut in what they collect, but it was a, a wonderful experience, and uh, after that, I was absolutely hooked uh, on on museum work. I loved every minute of it. Uh, After four years there, uh, I was hired as the curator of the President James K. Polk Home and Museum here in Columbia, Tennessee, where I spent the next 21 years. While there, I was in charge of the collection of three-dimensional objects and documentary artifacts. I did a lot of research and writing, a great deal of public speaking, and I curated 15 major exhibitions related to President Polk uh, and uh, his time time, uh, which roughly dates to the first half of the 19th century. In 2018, I went back to archival work. I'm currently the director of the Murray County Archives, where I'm responsible for literally millions of original documents that tell us the story of our past here in Middle Tennessee. Murray County is one of only a handful of counties in the state that has all of its records. Those documents are incredible. They span 212 years of history from 1807 until now and tell us the stories of everyday people living their lives. Of course, everyday people do extraordinary things, and it is those stories that we're going to highlight here on History's Hook. Let me give you an example. When I first started working there, one of the big projects at the archives was uh, to 
go through the collection of circuit court records. So circuit court is sort of the fun court, right? Those are the criminal uh, court cases. So uh, literally millions of records that the staff is going through, and we have to read them all. Uh, we have to label them all. And my job is to sort of go back, because I was the rookie. They did all the hard work. But they would come to my desk, and I'd have a look at them and make sure that the information on the inside matched what was on, on the folder on the outside. So it gave me a wonderful opportunity to sort of, sort of uh, dive in headfirst and, and learn about how court works, uh, even in the 19th century. One of those files that came across my desk was called State versus Ed Ferguson. And the only thing in this file was the uh, court transcription. The, the witness testimony is what it was. So it was about 10 pages long, all handwritten. So the cor- court recorder is the proceedings are going on. As the witnesses are giving their testimony, the court recorder is writing it down longhand. And he or she was writing it down verbatim, exactly as they were saying. So it was a wonderful document. It read like a Wild West uh, uh, story. It dated This dated from 1895. And what's interesting, so Ed Ferguson was charged with murder. He was charged with the murder of a, um, a young man named Lewis Cottom. Ferguson was a shoemaker. And uh, I managed to look him up after in the newspapers and found that he was a, an upstanding citizen. People loved him unless he drank. And unfortunately, they said he drank often. So he, he was uh, a little bit of trouble uh, in Columbia, Tennessee at the, at the time in 1895. But as you read this trans- transcript, you found that the victim, Lewis Cottom, and the accused, Ed Ferguson, uh, spend the whole night, starting uh, about 8 o'clock in the evening and going well into the night, 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, and they're going from bar to bar in Columbia. So as I'm reading this, you know, the historian's brain sort of at work, and more questions are coming up than, than is being answered. For instance, you find out that there are uh, saloons on all four corners of the square. So in 1895, why all the saloons? In, in Colombia, they're going to all of them, uh, and they're packed. Everybody, there's a lot of people inside there. Everybody's carrying guns. Everybody's packing. Uh, so these questions are going on in my head uh, as the the witness testimony goes on. And I was thinking to myself, if they don't tell me who who did this at the end, if we don't find out if if Ed Ferguson is guilty or not, I'm not going to sleep for a week. Um, so I kept kept reading, and uh, you find interestingly enough, so Cottom's body was found just about. Uh, 30 yards from the courthouse. I mean, he died in the shadow of the courthouse in Columbia. And as you read the the witness testimony, one of the questions by the attorneys was, or or, or the statement that he made is, this was the seventh murder that year, and it was only August. So again, the questions are going, right, so why all the saloons? Why is everybody carrying guns with them? And why the uptick in violent violent, um, crime in Columbia, Tennessee in 1895? Do you have a guess? What was the reason for it? Any ideas? I was stumped. No. I found out the answer a while later. I was giving a lecture, giving a talk to a group, and one older gentleman raised his hand. I asked the, the question pointedly, what is the deal with the uptick in violent crime and, and all the saloons? What's going on in Columbia, Tennessee? And he, he raised his hand and he said, phosphate. Phosphate had been discovered in Mount Pleasant. So we start looking at that a little bit, and you find that phosphate, when phosphate was discovered in the Mount Pleasant region, it was like a gold rush. People were coming to to Murray County from all over the country because it was quick money. The problem is, so you have a lot of unattached young men who are coming here to work in the mines. The mines were an incredibly dangerous place to work. People were, were being injured and killed out there all the time. But here's the key. They were being paid every single day. When they left work every day, they got money in their pocket. So where are these unattached young men going to go to spend their money? Saloon. So you see a, a big jump in in, in business <laughs> in certain types of business in Colombia, uh, and and hence the violent crime that follows behind it. So that one document that came across my desk, that one uh, uh, court transcript 
uh, gave rise to a whole much bigger story. And that's that's what I hope we can do uh, on History's Hook. We want to be able to bring these little stories and connect them to, to the bigger one. For this, our very first show, we'll be introducing you to our show's concept, its co-hosts, and talk about history in general terms. We'll discuss questions like the importance of history today and its relevance to everyday life. Uh, history is often quoted and misquoted in today's media. How do historians interpret and reinterpret history over time? Has the study of history changed in schools? We'll discuss these questions and many more. But before we delve in, I first want to formally introduce my two co-hosts. They will be trading off with each other from week to week. Each one of them uh, bring to the discussion many years of experience in the history realm, both in the classroom and in the field. I'm proud to have them partnering up with me on History's Hook. Joanne McClellan and Dr. Barry Gidcom, good morning to you both again. Good morning, Tom. Good morning. <laughs> now, I want to say I chose my co-host rather deliberately. First, I wanted people who are passionate about history and who are interested in, in learning more. I don't think you can be a good historian without being a lifelong learner. Uh, I wanted good storytellers as well. Barry has been a regular contributor to my lecture series for over 20 years and has told some incredible stories uh, over those years. Joanne is the president of the African American Heritage Society of Murray County and has had me spellbound on any number of uh, occasions with her and incredible stories uh, of life here in Columbia and in Murray County in Middle Tennessee. I also wanted both an academic historian as well as someone who had practical public history experience. So I hit the jackpot with the two of you. Uh, and thank you so much. I can't thank you enough for, for uh, agreeing to be a partner with on, on this program. I think this is going to be a lot of fun. Joanne, let's start with you. I know you to be one of the finest historical researchers in the field, uh, certainly that I've ever come across. Um, where did your love of history come from? I'm really, really not sure because history is not uh, was not my chosen field. I, um, I, uh, I have a degree in math from Tennessee State University, and uh, after I graduated, uh, I was recruited by a Fortune 500 company to come to Dayton, Ohio, to train to become a computer programmer. Um, and then um, I spent more than 30 years in the IT industry. Uh, advancing up the ranks from a uh, computer programmer, then director of financial systems. Um, and then I retired just to find out that my real passion was genealogy. At the time that I retired, I was in Fort Worth, Texas, actually in Dallas, and I was near the Fort Worth um, uh, regional archives, and I started researching my family history. And because of the Tennessee-Texas connection, there was a lot of information down there about um, Tennessee. But, uh, you know, researching African-American history started difficult before 1870. So when we finally relocated back home, I uh, started at the uh, Murray County Archives looking for my third great-grandmother, and I couldn't find her. And I started... Uh, researching cemetery records, um, church records, and school records, and I did eventually find her. But then my passion for public history sort of evolved out of my search for my ancestors. Huh. It's interesting. So genealogy is the second uh, biggest hobby in the country, uh, right after gardening, I think. So I, I think that's a path for a lot of people who are really interested in, in finding their their family history, where where we came from. I think we're all all pretty interested in that. And it's interesting, you, you started your search in Texas. Texas is often called, or, uh, Tennessee is the mother of Texas, right? So many 
people left this area heading to Texas. Uh, we actually see records in the archives with the notation GTT for gone to Texas. So many people went there from here that they that they um, made made an abbreviation for. So you came to history later in your life. Then you started off as a mathematician and uh, and the science track, science and math track, and wound up in history a little bit later. Much later. But you've made up for it because you've been doing a ton. Uh, you've been uh, the president of the African American Heritage Society for a long time, and uh, I know you associated with a, a bunch of pretty major projects through MTSU, uh, their their historic preservation uh, program. Uh, you're certainly responsible for getting a number of historic markers up around Murray County. Yes, you know when we when we when we started the society, you know I was wanting to make sure that the African American history was highlighted in Murray County, and one of the first things we did was the War Memorial. We uh, added 84 names of United States troops to the War Memorial Square. Uh, and then we started the pro- historical markers program, and we have installed four historical markers at sites, the African-American history of Maury County, and we're going to be doing more. And we have partnered with um, MTSU uh, and other NTSU on s- several uh, preservation projects. We, we uh, with uh, MTSU, we did a driving tour brochure that features a lot of sites around Maury County, not just in the it's wonderful. It, it's an amazing uh, program that you've done and I think has enhanced history and enriched lives here uh, as well. Dr. Gidcombe, uh, you've been a history professor for how long? Uh, over 30 years. 30 years. Uh, has teaching Was teaching always your goal from the time you were in, in undergraduate school? Were you, you thinking a teaching track? Not really. I, I really got interested in, in history, I guess, when I was at Columbia State Community College. And I had uh, I was fortunate to have some great professors there. I had uh, Mr. John Dillingham, Dr. Lewis Moore, Dr. Bill Andrews, all in history and political science courses. And I really fell in love with the the discipline of history. And I remember thinking at the time, one of these days I might teach this, but if I do, I want to do it at this level. Sure. And that's... uh, that's a pretty high ambition when you consider that there's very few positions available at that level to teach history. So I just kept thinking as I moved along through undergraduate school and then graduate school that uh, I was enjoying what I was doing and I wasn't sure what I was going to do when I finally got out of college. But the thought in the back of my mind was that if I really work hard enough at it, I might achieve that that goal. Yeah. And it it worked out. Yeah, that's amazing, and and amazing to me that you you were a student. You mentioned Lewis Moore. Uh, you mentioned Bill Andrews. Uh, you ended up teaching with both of them. So you, yes, you, I, you got through graduate school and came back, and they're still teaching, and you got to be not only a student but a colleague. Right. That and that was an incredible experience. That was I, I couldn't have asked for uh, for a better uh, for a better result. I can't say enough about Columbia State and especially the history department. I've I've been blessed to be able to work with you all on different projects over the years. But the the level of scholarship for a, a two year school I think is is absolutely a wonderful a wonderful. You're both locals, uh, I believe. Joanne, you were born and raised in Murray County. Yes, up in a little small country town called Theta. Uh, I went to um, grade school, elementary school, grades one through six there. Um, my teacher was like a wonderful teacher. It was, it was one of those old two-room schools, a Rosamall school. It was a, a wonderful experience. Talk to me about local history. When you were growing up, and you've already mentioned that history sort of came to you late, but were you aware of local history in your community? Not, not really. Some local history. Um, my teacher 
was she always kept us informed about certain historical facts, but it re- really wasn't a lot. Uh, she talked about uh, Abraham Lincoln. She talked about uh, some of the uh, Frederick Douglass, but wasn't a lot of real local history. Local history. Uh, I've found in, in my experience growing up in upstate New York where there's wonderful history as well, but we didn't learn a great deal of local history as well. But it was a thing from the time I was a kid, sort of finding the places and, and finding the objects. I remember as a kid walking through the woods. Now, I grew up in the Adirondack Park in in far upstate New York, where if I walked out my front door and just continued to walk, you wouldn't come across another person or building for over 40 miles. It was unbroken forest. But I remember as a kid walking through the woods, and all of a sudden there were railroad ties just sticking out of the ground. And I asked my dad, why why are we finding these in the middle of the forest? And he said, well, 100 years ago, they were, they were uh, this was a, a big area for lumbering and forestry. So they built these uh, small rail lines through the woods. And by the time I was a kid, they were all long gone, but the remnants of them were still there. And that sort of caught me, I think. That was sort of the, the hook for me uh, with history is that if you look close enough, it's all around you and it permeates you. Now, the, the difference is going from New York to Tennessee, when I came here, Murray County especially, history sort of permeates this place, right? I, I think people in New York are aware of their history, but here, it's right here among us. And I think people are generally a little bit more aware of the history. I, I don't know if, if it's marketed better here, but the places still exist here, maybe much more than than in New York. Barry, what about you? We're, growing up, did you tour the poke home and, and go oh, to historic places oh yes and 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 you're right everywhere you go there's an antebellum house or an old building that that is intriguing uh, it, it's an amazing place well we're going to take just a, a brief uh, break let's take a moment and listen to our sponsors and we'll be right back on history's hook don't go away history's hook with your host tom price will be right back after this brief commercial break At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can always count on us for a great selection of late model, low mileage, one owner vehicles. All have been thoroughly inspected and are ready to go. You can even save time and buy online with our online shopping tool. Looking to sell your vehicle? Great news! We're paying top dollar for your trade. All makes, all models, and in any condition. Trade in and trade up today. At Columbia Chrysler Dodge Jeep Ram Fiat, you can count on us. Hi, Terry Tillis from Tillis Jewelry. When you think of diamonds, what do you think of? Rare, precious, timeless, sparkles like the sun. They're timeless and nothing like them on earth. Then do you think, where do I buy local to buy the perfect ring? Maybe a diamond pendant or earrings or maybe a new diamond band. Look no further. Tillis Jewelry carries all your diamond and jewelry needs. Stop by and see our wonderful collection. And remember, if you don't know your diamonds, know your jeweler. Tillis Jewelry, downtown Columbia. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning is built to a higher standard, so you can focus on the problems in your life that actually matter, like the stair that only creaks when everyone else in the house is asleep. American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning, built to a higher standard. Call Davis Heating and Cooling at 931-388-2090 for all your home comfort needs. Davis Heating and Cooling is your local American Standard dealer and proudly serves the Murray County area. Find Davis Heating and Cooling online and on Facebook or call today, 388-2090. 
Are you thinking about a new fence? Maybe you need a pole barn. Then you should give Sands Fence Company a call. That's 931-309-1644. Will Sands has built his business based on the principles of honesty, quality, and integrity. Sands Fence Company has been in business for over 20 years, providing the community with farm, residential, and commercial fencing, as well as pole barns and buildings. Call today for a free estimate. Sands Fence Company, 931-309-1644. This is Dr. Dominic Mancini from the Dr. Gill Center. Have you been injured in a car accident? Are you still in pain? Untreated whiplash injuries to the spine may lead to future conditions, such as neck pain, low back pain, and headaches. The doctors at the Dr. Gill Center specialize in detecting and treating these conditions before they get worse. Our accident consultations are free. Call me painfree.com or call 615-551-9224. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to the inaugural episode of History's Hook. Before the break, uh, we were talking with our co-hosts, Dr. Barry Gidcom and Joanne McClellan, uh, about growing up here, both both folks being uh, f- uh, rather local, although Barry was born in Davidson County. He moved to Murray County uh, as a young person. Uh, Barry, I had asked you the question about uh, growing up here as a kid, uh, did you feel sort of the local history? And you had mentioned that you did tour some of the historic sites in, in the area. Um, do you have a favorite? Well, the my favorite growing up, of course, was the poke home because it was something that uh, it was really a tangible uh, site. It was the home of a president. But just driving around, riding around Murray County and seeing the, the historic buildings, it was uh, it was fascinating to me. It is. We're, we're lucky to have so many. Uh, I've heard the statistic, I think, that was put up by the Visitors Bureau a few years ago that uh, outside of Natchez, Mississippi, Murray County has more uh, standing uh, historic sites, historic houses than any other place in the country. It's a, it, it's pretty special. I've had the, uh, I've been very fortunate to to be able to tour and, and visit an, an, a number of them, most of them, if not all of them, I would say. And uh, I often take friends and family and, and get to go see them. It, it's really a pretty pretty amazing experience. Um, what about school uh, growing up? For, for me, uh, unfortunately. Uh, I had a number of teachers who are also gym coaches, and maybe gym coaches are coaches first and history teachers second. For me, history as a kid in a classroom was not very much fun. Uh, it was dates and facts and memorization. I never felt it so much. And uh, um, you mentioned, Barry, that you were lucky, at least in college, to have some very fine professors. Um, what was your experience like in school and in lower school? You know, my introduction to history in elementary and secondary school uh, came mostly through reading little biographies. The, uh, the, li- the little libraries we had in our elementary school classrooms over at Riverside, they had biographies of historic figures. And then later in, in middle school or junior high school and high school, the same. And I, I, I basically grew up on, on reading biographies. I love biography as well. Um, my dad was in World War II, as were several of my uncles. So 
I, I loved to read as a kid, but hearing those stories for me really brought it to life. Now, my dad was not a loquacious character. He, he didn't talk a, a lot uh, when I was growing up. But if, if, if I would ask him pointed questions, he would tell me. And I, I managed to find out that his father made him join the Navy in when on his 17th birthday. Uh, World War II was in full swing. It was 1944, I think. And uh, he went into the Navy. He became a welder, an underwater welder, and then was sent to the Pacific Theater, uh, and then after the war was uh, at Operation Crossroads, which was uh, atomic testing in the Bikini Atoll in the South Pacific. So he was 30 miles from ground zero from two atomic blasts. And trying to get those stories out of him to see what that was like for him, uh, for me, that sort of brought history to life a little bit more. Um, I have six siblings as well, um, most of them quite a bit older, the better part of 20 years older. So hearing stories about them growing up in the same town that I grew up in and how it changed over time uh, was fascinating to me. So history was was that for me. What about you, Joanne? You, you had a, a, a little bit different experience. You, you went to Carver Smith uh, High School. Yes, I went to uh, Carver Smith High School. But as, as a kid, our community was sort of self-contained. Um, we really didn't come into the city very much. Uh, we had our our churches, we had the school, we had activities planned at the school, and we had a little country grocery store. So we really didn't come into the city very often. But when I started Carver Smith way back in 1964, I came into city to the city more often and got to understand more about the city of Columbia. But I did go to Carver Smith, which was a totally segregated school. So it was sort of, it was different. Which I think for for young people today, they don't have any concept of segregated schools. Uh, I think we could say thank goodness. Uh, but what give give us some impressions of what it was like to to go to that school? Well, our our teachers were wonderful teachers, and they they gave us the impression that they really really cared about us. I remember when I was in high school, I ran on the track team. And our principal, he was a wonderful, big, burly guy. His name was Sam Jones. He would always come down right before track practice and say, did you guys have a good lunch? If you didn't have a good lunch, we're going to make sure you have a good lunch before you walked over to Fairview Park for the practice field. But our teachers really, really cared about us. I had a um, counselor. His name was Mr. Beard, and he was the one that made sure that we took the right courses to get into college. He was very adamant about us taking four years of history, four years of English, four years of math, four years of science, such that when we were preparing or taking those standardized tests to get into college, we were prepared. And my uh, my homeroom teacher, my math teacher, they were just really caring about us. Now, I'm going to have to mention that I am about 10 years older than Barry, and Barry went to Santa Fe High School, and when the schools integrated, my little brothers and sister went to Santa Fe High School, and my one little brother was Barry's classmate. So their experience at Santa Fe was very, very different from my experience at Carver Smith. I think it was a good experience, but it was a different experience. Um, my two, three of my brothers, I had six brothers, three of my brothers, I think, played on the Santa Fe uh, basketball team. Two of them were very, very good, but their experience in a totally integrated school was very different from mine as a segregated school. Uh, I rode the bus 
for about half an hour, 45 minutes into the city. They rode the bus for 15 minutes from our house down to the Santa Fe School, which was only about seven miles away. But um, it was a different experience. What about history? Did you learn at a segregated school? Did you learn about African-American history? We, you know, uh, when, you know, Carter Woodson uh, uh, established the Black History Month, and I think our history was, Black history was um, still geared around the Black History Month, but yeah, we did uh, learn uh, some some things about African Americans in, in the Af- African American history. Frederick Douglass and um, uh, Harriet Tugman and some of the ones that were into the uh, time period when a period of slavery. Right, right. So that's been a, a, a big project that you and I have been working on that I've found since I've been at the Murray County Archives that uh, African-American history really hasn't been documented uh, uh, very much. So that's one of the big projects that we're we're working on now is uh, we have all the records. Uh, uh, it's the most wonderful thing uh, that the Murray County Archives has all of the original records available to us. Uh, it's a, a gold mine of information, so it's a, a matter of getting that information, documenting it. You're, you're absolutely correct. I mentioned earlier that I was looking for information about my third great-grandmother. Uh, as a result of my searching for her, I decided to transcribe all of the African-American cemeteries in Murray County and publish the book because the African-American cemeteries were not included in the books that were originally published. But in doing so, I did find my grandmother. She's actually buried in a white cemetery up in Santa Fe. But it gave me an opportunity to travel around the county and see where these African-American communities were once located. And with every community, every cemetery, there was once a church or a school and a cemetery. And as a result of that, uh, that's one of the reasons why I decided to start this organization, because we need we need to include that part of Murray County's history in some kind of location. Absolutely right. Have you been a part of or witnessed history? Either one of you. Barry, if you want to start, have you, have you witnessed history or something that, that the general public would consider to be his history or historic an, an event? Well, I mean, I think I have, and, and, and Joanne and I both, even though I'm a little younger than <laughs> Joanne, not not much, but we uh, we grew up in a time of segregation, and we and we saw the change that took place in the uh, in the 1960s, and the pivotal role that the state of Tennessee, uh, even here in Columbia, played in that. Uh, I. One of my vivid memories of being a part of history, and and again, it's maybe this is because this has been my life and career for so long. But I was in the audience back in that on that cold, rainy March 1967 day uh, when President Lyndon Johnson and First Lady Lady Bird Johnson were here to dedicate the first community college in Tennessee, Columbia State, and listening to uh, to the First Lady and to the President talk about the importance of of education and I was 10 years old at the time but I I understood that this was history in the making and probably played a role in me deciding to go to Columbia State years later uh interesting uh there's some wonderful photographs, a number of photographers here in Columbia and outside of the area, too. Obviously, if a president comes to Tennessee, they're going to be there. But there are some wonderful photographs of President Johnson and Lady Bird Johnson as they made their various stops. From what I understand, 
President Johnson wasn't supposed to come. Uh, Lady Bird was the one who was going to do the dedication. He he managed to to free up some time and, and come along with her on that trip. Uh, I read Lady Bird's autobiography a few years ago, and, and, and I was absolutely taken by the lady she was. She was very different from what my perception of her was. Uh, Lyndon Johnson was kind of a larger-than-life character, this blustery Texan, right? So I kind of assumed his wife was going to be quiet and demure and... and um, for lack of a better word, kind of subservient to him, but it wasn't the case at all. I was I was really impressed by her character and her strength of character. Uh, when he wrote a speech, he would get her opinion on it, and she was sometimes brutal about uh, what she would say about his speech. She was very critical of him, and I, I think probably made him a, a much better person, much better speaker uh, as a result of that. But them them coming here is, is fascinating to me. Uh, I know he made a stop at the Polk home. There's some great photographs of him there. Uh, as well. It's a great story uh, that when they left the Polk home, of course, he comes with a Secret Service entourage, and they're heading out of town, heading north. He spotted uh, the Dairy Queen, which is just a couple blocks from the Polk home, and made an immediate stop, halted the car, much to the chagrin of the Secret Service, of course, who want, wanted to know his every move right ahead of time. And uh, he hopped out of the car to, to get ice cream. He was a great lover of ice cream. But I, I love that story. You know, presidents sometimes just they got to have ice cream. They just, they just don't care. <laughs> well, you know, Tom, before he came to Columbia, before they came to Columbia that day, they stopped at the Hermitage in Nashville and laid a reef on the grave of Andrew Jackson. It was his, the anniversary of his 200th birthday. Ah, uh, good timing. So, so they hit both Tennessee, or two of the three Tennessee presidents that day. Right, right. Huh. Interesting. So, but he didn't stop at Polk Street, I guess. Uh, No, I'm not sure he knew where it was. (laughs) It's a little lost up there. We'll we'll come back to that in a in a in a few minutes. Uh, For me, um, I'm going to ask you the same question in a second, Joanne. Uh, I'm just going to give give mine briefly. Mine is actually connected to that. I I think witnessing history. I was at the 1980 Winter Olympics in Lake Placid, and uh, if you've ever been to Lake Placid, New York, it's a tiny little town. Uh, in the middle of the in the middle of the mountains, and uh, they can never have another Olympics there because they've gotten so big. There's just no way. But at that point in time, uh, the Olympic Village was right on the outskirts of town, and the Olympians, the athletes, are just walk down the street. So uh, my best childhood friend Buckshot Sullivan and I were walking down the street, and we'd meet these athletes coming and going. That was the year that Eric Hyden won five gold medals in speed skating. Uh, we had met him three or four times that afternoon. By the third time, he knew us by name. Just like Buckshot Sullivan and Tom Price again. <laughs> So it kind of neat, kind of neat to be a part of, of that kind of history. We need to take another break. Uh, we're gonna be back in a, a little over three minutes. You're listening to History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook with your host Tom Price will be right back after this brief commercial break. I'm Robert Rogers at Parks Motor Sales Buick GMC. Parks Motor Sales was founded by my granddad, Bobby Parks, and my great-granddad, Julian Mays, in 1958. We've been family-owned the whole time, and being family-owned, locally-owned, means you get to get your next vehicle or your existing vehicle serviced by the same people who stand in the grocery line with you, drop their kids off at the same school you do, and smile and are happy to see you when they do. So come see us at Parks Motor Sales in Columbia, Tennessee, on 919 Nashville Highway or ParksMotorSales.com. 
I'm Barbara Lincoln with Holland's Pharmacy. We have advertised with WKRM and WKOM for the past several years and found it to be very successful. I highly recommend advertising with them if you have a local business like ours. We're located at 1608 Hatcher Lane here in Columbia. We're open Monday through Friday from 8 to 6 and Saturdays from 8 to 2. Stop by Holland's for all your prescription needs where we have fast, friendly, courteous service. We custom fit support hubs for you also. Thanks for supporting Holland's and WKRM and WKOM. Hi, I'm Steve, the Garbage Man. Are you new to Murray County? We want to welcome you and your family. We are a local residential garbage service, and we want to be your garbage man. We've been around for over 30 years, so we have a reputation. Check us out at garbagemaninc.com or call Mike at 931-540-0919. You could also ask your neighbor. 931-540-0919. For 40 years, the Jewelers Bench has worked hard for their customers and provided the highest quality jewelry at the best price. They keep going back. Recent renovations have allowed them to expand their inventory. More high quality jewelry, custom vintage and estate pieces, and professional jewelry and watch repairs. They also buy gold. The Jewelers Bench, still here, still great service. 808 Trotwood Avenue, Columbia. Gypsy Kings featuring Donino Baliardo return to Nashville with a concert that will take you on a trip down memory lane. The Gypsy Kings will be performing their greatest hits November 4th at TPAC Andrew Jackson Hall. For you to dance and enjoy an unforgettable night. Tickets on sale through ToninoBaliardo.com A loud and live production. This is Elk Kennedy. A few years ago, my wife, Mary Susan, and I decided to redo our study. I wanted the same comforting earth color green my grandmother had in her study when I was growing up. We didn't even have a sample. Mary Susan went to see Zeke Maddox at Columbia Paint and Wall Cover. He had my grandmother's color card on file from 1959. Today, her great-great-grandchildren play and laugh under that comforting green. Columbia Paint and Wall Cover, Zeke Maddox, 931-388-2806. Farmer Johnny here, Taylor Family Farm. I want to give you all a little look-see. We raise 100% non-GMO, grass-fed beef, pasture chicken, and pork on our family farm. Everything that we grow is raised with love and care to ensure the highest quality and nutrition for our family and customers. You can shop online at taylorfamilyfarmtn.com or visit our farm store in person at Etheridge, Tennessee at 301 Dave Reisner Road. That's taylorfamilyfarmtn.com for more information. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back, and thank you for listening to History's Hook. Before the break, I had asked uh, Barry, we were talking about uh, if we had witnessed history or been part of history. Joanne, I have the same question for you. I'm curious to know, have you been a witness to what people would generally consider a historic event? Well, uh, Or been part of it? In Murray County, probably no on a specific level, but on a general level, probably yes. Uh, Back in uh, 1976, I was employed at uh, NCR, the National Cash Register Company, in their terminal systems division. And I was a part of a team that uh, designed, developed, and maintained um, their first ATM machine. It was a model 770 and we um, 
it was revolution. I, I, I love that you still remember the the model. That's the mathematician in you right there. That's great. And it's, what makes you a good historian? Because you're a detail person. That, that's amazing. Yeah, that drives my family crazy. But um, it was a model 770, and we were developing the, developing this machine to go into places like uh, shopping centers. It was completely self-contained. It had its own little cash dispenser and depository. And uh, it had, uh, it was basically in a safe. So we put these machines in places like um, uh, like uh, a mall, like the uh, uh, mall, Nick, uh, the mall in Nashville. And uh, people, it was, um, uh it was a 24 by 7, so it could provide service to cut to people that were no longer, you know, at work or whatever. And the banks really like it. We did special features for a bank on the East Coast. It was, um, it was, really was a revolutionary. Uh, NCR was one of the first companies, although not the first company to do a ATM machine, but it was one of the first in the U.S. Um, so to be clear, so you're on the team that developed an ATM. An ATM. That's you know, amazing. <laughs> this, you know, back in the day, you know, now you walk up and it's so um, digital. But this was like the forerunner of these digital machines because what we were doing was programming using something called firmware to cause the drum to roll to dispense like a $5 bill or a $20 bill. It was revolutionary. And if you think about NCR today, you know, they have these machines, the the later versions of these machines in maybe 120 con- company, uh, countries, and they've got um, probably a million installed over the, all over the world. So that was one of my one of my jobs back in the day. Witness to history. Those are some of the, my favorite stories in the archives when I come across a story of a person who is connected to something bigger, either you know developed or invented something or came up with an idea that sort of takes off. Murray County's had uh, a few of those uh, types of people, and that's kind of the premise of the show. So so my next question is the, the main idea behind this is sort of connecting local history to, to the big to the big picture. Uh, Barry, give, give me an example of a project that you worked on or studied uh, or something you've uncovered that illustrates that idea of, of local history uh, connecting. To- well, off the top of my head, when I, when I first started teaching Tennessee history years ago, I was so surprised at how significant Tennessee has been to our national history, our uh, developments at the national level, uh, going all the way back to uh, in 1780, when 900 soon-to-be Tennesseans mustered at a place called Sycamore Shoals and crossed the mountains and took part in a decisive battle uh, over the British at uh, the Battle of Kings Mountain, which was really mm-hmm. the turning point of the American Revolution in the South. And and from that point on, Tennessee has had an outsized uh, impact on uh National history, Jackson and Polk and the age of the common man. Uh, Tennessee is a volunteer state from the War of 1812. I love to how you said that, the that Mexican it's War. sort of an, out, an outsized. I, I love that word because you're exactly right. Really, for the next uh, century, practically, Tennessee is sort of the head of the game. Uh, you start to see that shift politically, right, where you have the first, uh, what, six presidents who come from the East and sort of the Eastern elite, and then Andrew Jackson, uh, after taking part in the Revolutionary War, settling in Tennessee, Tennessee gains statehood, and boom, the, the shift happens. happens it Changes uh, to the West. everything. Yeah, it changes everything. Incredible. Neat and, story. And 
Tennessee has even in more even more recent times, Tennessee and the women's suffrage movement, Tennessee and the New Deal, the the TVA, which which uh, reformed the power industry nationwide, our own Cordell Hall in the United Nations, and Joanne and I could talk about this a lot as well. But there's probably no state that had a bigger impact on the civil rights movement than Tennessee. That's going to be the subject of, of an upcoming show. We'll be talking about uh, the Columbia race riot probably in a couple of different uh, episodes. And uh, it's an incredible story, local story, that has such a huge impact on a national level. I think historians are now sort of officially recognizing the the Columbia race riot in 1946 as sort of one of those key first steps in the civil rights movement. So I'm looking forward to, to exploring that further at your show. The term that, the term that I often hear when the Columbia race ride is is mentioned is is the word catalyst. Yes. Because it certainly was. I think that's exactly right. How about you, Joanne? Can you think of, I I know you have have a bunch of these things. I want to brag on Joanne. One of the first programs I I saw her do was uh, um, uh, she did a lecture on Murray County's hidden figure. And she chose uh, a number of people who lived or came from Murray County that went on to these incredible lives uh, and had an impact, not just locally, but on a a state and and national level. Again, one of the finest researchers. And this is all relatively new information that's coming out. Out. So we got to get this book written, Joanne. We've got to get we've got to get this history down on paper for everybody to enjoy. But can you can you think of give, give me can you think of an example local a local story gone national? A local story gone national. Well, the McKissick story is one oh, that yeah. <laughs> the McKissick story is one that that I think of. Um, the McKissick family was a part of the Ripa Villa Plantation. Uh, they ended up uh, they were like three Moses McKissicks and Moses the third ended up uh, being the uh, founder of one of the largest architectural firms in the United States. Right. So the first Moses McKissick was an enslaved man. He was an enslaved man at Ripa Villa and was became he was a tradesman. He, yes. he was a brickmaker. Exactly. Exactly. And then he parlayed that uh, within a couple of generations, teaching his children and grandchildren the same trade and that turns them eventually into architects. Is that right? That's that's exactly correct. And what's really interesting about that, currently, the women McKissicks are the ones that's running the firm, <laughs> which is really, really ex- exciting. Um, what, the, what's the biggest thing that McKissick and McKissick has done? Well, they've done a lot of uh, buildings at universities. They, uh, they did several buildings in Nashville, but I bet the largest is probably the African American Museum. The National uh, Museum of African American History at the exactly, Smithsonian exactly. was built by McKissick and McKissick, whose exactly. story begins at Ripa Villa Plantation in Murray County, Tennessee. It, it's yes. an incredible story. It is. It's absolutely amazing. It is. One other uh, one other person that a lot of people really don't uh, think about is uh, is a guy named um, Edmund Kelly, and we're going to do a historical marker for him shortly, I hope. But he was a person that left here, and some historians consider his contribution as significant as Frederick Douglass. And he traveled uh, across the country. Uh, he was was one of the people who really uh, uh, fought against uh, slavery, authored several articles. He had a newspaper, not as big as Frederick Douglass, but he did have a newspaper that talked about the emancipation of of, uh, slaves and why why they should be. He met with um, Abraham Lincoln on several occasions. A lot of papers are the Lincoln Papers, the Library of Congress. So that's a 
he made a significant contribution uh, to African-American history. Born and raised down here. Born and raised here. In Murray County. As an enslaved man. Right. But manages to go to the North as a minister. Is that right? Minister. And he, in fact, he was the first ordained minister in the state of Tennessee. So, and, and managed to buy the freedom of his wife. And children. And yes. children. Right. And, of course, they were owned by Walker, who was... James Walker, James K. Polk's brother-in-law. Exactly. Whose home still stands, called Rally Hill. It's actually for sale right now. Uh, but his wife, her name was Paralee? Paralee. Uh-huh. Yeah, so right. he, he writes a letter to James Walker asking for the freedom of his wife uh, and children. And Walker writes back and says, your wife has been a part of my family for a long time. Her family has been in my family for generations. I don't think I can part with her unless you have a certain amount of money and then maybe we can talk. And he managed, he manages to do it. Yes, he did. And he, he manages to purchase the freedom of his wife and his children. They too go to the Northeast uh, with him for a time. But what's incredible to me is they come back. Right. His, his, his children and descendants come back to Columbia, Tennessee. And in fact, his um, son ended up being the first principal of the College Hill School. College Hill was the first public school for African Americans in 1801. His son, John H., came back, started the school. And what he did was he gave up an opportunity to become a lawyer. He was back here visiting his cousin. He gave up an opportunity to become a lawyer, came down here, saw that education was needed, and started working to establish, which is, I think, very, very interesting. Several of his descendants became become sort of pillars in the education committee in, in Murray County. It, it's an amazing story, it, and that's the best thing we can do with this radio show is tell these hundreds of stories that are like this, that, that again, connect connect this local story with, with the national story. Um, for me, um, and, and I'm going to tie this in, in in a second, to I, I think that history, we often think of history are things that happened in the past. Uh, they happened on a specific date. They happened, and that's the... Uh, History, I think, is often living. Uh, it's a continuation. It's interpretation. And interpretation changes over time. We view a facet of history in a certain way, uh, but it can evolve over time. Uh, so the best example I have for me, thinking about a local story going national and ties into that idea that history is is ongoing, is the move of James K. Polk's tomb. It's probably the project that I've been associated with that... that uh, uh, that sort of connects those things. So we're we're going to take a break, and then we're going to dive into this a little bit and talk a little bit about uh, living history, interpretation, uh, and then we'll we'll think about wrapping up the show. So we'll be back in just a few minutes. Thank you for listening to History's Hook. Don't go away. History's Hook with your host Tom Price will be right back after this brief commercial break. Every morning, I park my car across the street from my business, and I can't wait to get in there. That's pretty common for small business owners. We have the added satisfaction, however, of guiding hundreds of families with their retirement, education, savings, and general investments. We're a locally owned business that tries very hard to simplify a complicated world. This is Monty Sneed from Caledonian Financial in Historic downtown columbia securities and investment advisory services offered through nbc securities incorporated member finra and sipc 
Columbia Foodland is a locally owned and operated family grocery store with a full line of dry, dairy, frozen, meat, and produce items. We focus on keeping the freshest hand-cut meat and produce items daily with the most competitive prices in town. We offer weekly ad specials as well as in-store weekly specials throughout the store. Located at 427 West 7th Street in Columbia in the former Harris Foodland location. Columbia Foodland. We are here and ready to serve the wonderful people of Columbia and the surrounding areas. Hello, my name is Connor Mims. My wife, Bradley, and I live in Columbia, Tennessee in Riverside. I'm a deck and porch builder, and my wife is a second grade teacher at Riverside Elementary. My specialty is designing and building elegant and comfortable porches and decks. Let me work with you to design and build the porch or deck of your dreams. Give us a call today from our website, MimsModernLandscape.com. That's MimsModernLandscape.com, and check out what we have to offer. Thanks. History's Hook with your host, Tom Price, is back. Take it away, Tom. Welcome back to History's Hook. Uh, Before the break, we started talking about the idea that history isn't always in the past. Sometimes these stories, these events in the past are still going on today. And and maybe the best example is one that I've been a part of over the last three years, which is moving James K. Polk's tomb. Uh, Now, that's a a long story, right? Polk died in 1849. Why is his tomb still an issue today? And I I think it's a great example of how history is kind of a living thing. It's still being being debated out. Now, our, our reason for doing it is that Polk himself, uh, in his will, wanted to be buried where his legacy resided. He wanted to be buried, uh, he thought it was going to be in Nashville at his home Polk place, uh, and he was. He was buried there until his wife died, and then uh, over a, a, a court dispute over his estate, uh, the, the house was sold outside of the family, and the family decided to move the tomb to the Capitol grounds in Nashville or some other place. And so he's been buried there. Polk has been buried three times now uh, as a result of that. But he's a little bit lost up there. Every year on his birthday, the White House sends a wreath, and there's an imposing ceremony up there. And every year, it's six or eight people from Columbia that go and take part in that. You mentioned, Barry, that LBJ went to Andrew Jackson's uh, tomb. I think President Trump went to Andrew Jackson's tomb last year. But nobody goes to see Polk up there. So it's a, a big project. And I think it's fascinating that people are still kind of debating and get a little bit passionate about it. Even, you know, I'm, I'm on the side of I think he should be moved to Columbia. This is where his legacy resides. Um, but there are some people who, who don't think so, that they think, you know, he's been buried three times, maybe three times is enough. And we certainly respect that idea. But I, I love that people are still kind of passionate about it. I don't know that, you know, working at, at Polk for 21 years, I didn't think people lost any sleep over James K. Polk at all. But, but as it turns out, if we try to move his tomb, everybody has an opinion on it. Uh, so I, I think it's a, an interesting story that's still still being debated today, even on the floors of the uh, legislature. Um, that's part of history, right? Barry, this idea that we can reinterpret history. H- history isn't static. It's Once it's written in a book, that's not the end of it. Um, I, I think it's still still an issue going on going on today. Um, I think of the the issue with the forest bust that's going to be coming up again in the capital commission in the state legislature uh people have been out there uh, i know i've been to the capital and people are still protesting that the the bust in the capital should should be moved um I, i'm barry i'm kind of curious your your thoughts on not necessarily th- that project specifically but the interpretation of history how much leeway do we have with interpretation i guess my question well uh, i think we're always 
looking back and reinterpreting history based upon new information, but but also based upon as as times change. You know, one interesting example of this is that for uh, for almost a century we had this same static interpretation of Reconstruction in the South, and it was a an interpretation that came primarily from a professor named William Dunning and his students, and it was a very flawed interpretation. It took the civil rights movement of the 50s and 60s. To change that, it was in the 1960s that we took a real fresh look at Reconstruction in the South and came up with a completely different view. And I think that history often is reinterpreted based upon what's happening at the moment. Right. History is is never the view of a single – there's never one single view of history, I guess, is my point. There are lots of different ways of looking at a, an event or a, a time period um, and, and getting sort of a better look. If you look through a prism rather than uh, looking through a, a telescope, you look through a prism, there, there are lots of ways of looking at, a, at history. Well, and, and, and I'm looking here on, uh, of a quote on the wall here from Winston Churchill, and I'm reminded of a story where Winston Churchill during World War II said to FDR, he said, history is going to treat us kindly. And FDR asked, how can you be so sure? And Churchill said, because we're going to write the history. And it's, uh, it's been this maxim for, for so long that the winners write the history. And I think we're seeing a big change in our lifetime and in the late 19th and, or the late 20th and into the 21st century, where we are seeing voices that have been marginalized for for throughout our history that are getting a chance to to have their say and right. to uh, and to provide their side of the story right and it fleshes out the history it fleshes out that story uh, in a way that we we haven't lost I, I think that it's an exciting time uh in in the field of history i think there's a an awful lot going on and and i love that it's sort of at the forefront still today in this politically charged climate that we're in, we often hear history evoked, I think. I think it makes the study of history that much more important. Uh, if you've been in the business long enough, you realize that, that none of what's going on right now is particularly new. Uh, politics right now is, is particularly volatile, but you can go back to Tennessee politics in the 1830s and 1840s. It was rough going, right? Uh, Andrew Jackson's wife dies just before he takes office, and he absolutely blames the newspapers and Henry Clay, the opposition party, for killing her. That it was the stress that was put on her uh, as, a re- as a result of that election that kills his wife and never forgives Henry Clay. So politics has always been particularly volatile. I think that's one of the most fun things about um, studying history, especially in Tennessee, as we said earlier, it's always been sort of at the forefront uh, of history, certainly three, but a lot of times. Uh, Joanne, what about you in interpreting history? You're a public historian now. You're sort of on, I, I want to say, on the front lines of history. You're putting historic markers out there. You're you're finding these stories that allow us all, through the Historic Marker Program and the books that you've published, to sort of uh, look at history differently again uh, through through an, another prism. Uh, talk a little bit about uh, some of the projects that you're working on. Uh, well, the whole mission of the African American Heritage Society is to preserve the African American history of this county. And we started this because 
so much of our history was not included in the uh, local published books. So, and that's one of the reasons I did the cemetery transcription book. But what we're trying to do is to highlight the contributions of African Americans. Uh, uh, of Murray County, and we do it uh, several ways. We have an ongoing lecture series. Uh, in fact, uh, this and it's, they're theme based. This year, our theme is uh, women's history. Um, and next next week, as a matter of fact, we're going to have a Dr. Carol Busey to come down and talk about the uh, women's uh, African American participation in the women's suffrage movement. We're also, as a follow-on to that, uh, with the same theme, we're creating a um, African American history calendar that will feature women of Murray County that contributed to not only at the local level, but at the national level, African history. That's great. And we'll dedicate a couple of shows next year for the uh, centennial of women's suffrage. Uh, So we'll be looking forward to that. Well, thank you both so much for agreeing to be on this show with us. Uh, uh, We're looking forward to future shows. Some of our upcoming topics will include uh, a quiet local man who is a Cold War spy in the 1950s, a two-part series on the Columbia Race Ride, a two-part series on Vietnam featuring uh, two local combat veterans, uh, the project currently underway to move President Polk's tomb. That's sort of moving forward again. We'll, we'll be discussing that. Tennessee horse culture. Uh, we know Tennessee and we know Murray County for its mules, but Tennessee was a, ha- had a pretty incredible horse culture in the 19th century. Religion on the Tennessee frontier and much, much more. Uh, I want to leave you with a quote. Uh, I'm going to try to wrap up all of our shows with with a quote. Uh, This from from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., who said, We're not makers of history. We are made by history. So we want to thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. So tune in next week for another edition of History's Hook. Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of History's Hook with your host, Tom Price. We hope you enjoyed today's show. Be sure to join us every Saturday at 9 a.m. and again at 6 p.m. right here on WKOM 101.7 FM for a journey through time. I am Jack Blackstone. And I'm Emery Blackstone. Together, we are Greenway Tech Repair. Tired of slow computers, cracked phone screens, and fancy home electronics you don't know how to use? We can help. We provide local on-site services as well as remote troubleshooting for any job, no matter how large or small, from computers and laptops to mobile devices and home electronics. We Blackstone Brothers are eager to serve our community. Find us on Facebook at Greenway Tech Repair or by phone at 931-388-2691. That's on Facebook at Greenway Tech Repair or by phone at 931-388-2691. This is Trip Stoltz with Columbia Ace Hardware. I love listening to 101.7 WKOM-FM, Columbia, Tennessee.